Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cricket with an Accent. I don't even want to say another episode because this podcast has been frozen for eight months and there were no plans to do an episode, even though I had some in mind. But uh, some of you know, it was a tough year for me. Uh, lost my father. Uh, didn't envision talking about this on a podcast, but I've made some friendships and some good connections here. So I feel like this is a close-knit society. And today, uh, helping me break the ice are two regulars on this podcast. No interaction needed. Vijay Aramagam and Gurkirat Singh Gill, who, again, are Twitter, Twitter legends in their own way. So thank you guys for agreeing to do this on a short notice. We are always managing time zones. And here we are talking about cricket. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Sakib. Uh, thank you for having me over here. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, uh, Sakib. Uh, very happy to be back again. And uh, hopefully another good conversation. Uh, met Vijay recently in, in Australia and uh, it was great. It was great talking to him. But uh, I suppose we have spoken uh, a lot with each other on on uh, on podcast rather than in person. Hopefully the next time uh, I go to Australia, that changes. No, again, uh, I, I followed, you know, your account, Good Kirat, and same with Vijay. And I was glad that you guys got some FaceTime and, you know, it was hectic travel for you when you went to Australia uh, during the World Cup. Uh, so to set the stage for this conversation, again, we are no strangers here, but you both, you know, address a lot of opinion slash analysis on Twitter. And Good Kirat, you do a great job. I mean, I mean, your your followership is, uh, is if that's a word, like followership is growing by by the week and it's all well deserved so how do you balance uh the need of opinion slash analysis how aware are you sometimes are you giving opinion sometimes is it analysis what is twitter what is your tw- twitter model you know because we all kind of look up to your feed when there's something going on everybody goes and checks what is he saying so how do you tackle this so i think uh, uh what i try and do is that I, I try and mix and match. I, I am always sometimes, uh, you know, trying to crack a joke or sometimes taking a Mickey out of, uh, I, I, I actually enjoy taking a Mickey out of Ramiz Raja. And uh, I think anyone who doesn't do that is is not doing Twitter right because he keeps giving content every day. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost like when a statement comes from Ramiz Raja on any of the Pakistan cricket handles, you first have to check whether it's a statement that has been made, a, made by a parody account or has it actually been said by Ramiz Raja. <laughs> and when you find out that it's actually been said by Ramiz Raja, it becomes even more funny. So that is one. Then just yesterday, I, <laughs> I baited the audience with something like, uh, people are quick to jump on uh, KL Rahul when a team loses. But yesterday, now that India has won, are they going to appreciate KL Rahul, the captain? So a lot of people took the bait saying, no, no, you know, the role of a captain is is finished when a team has scored more than 400 runs because there's nothing left for a captain to do, etc., etc. And I was like, yeah, precisely, I agree. But uh, at the same time, if uh, performances by a couple of batters or a couple of players can make captaincy irrelevant in a game. Similarly, bad performances by your key players can also make captaincy irrelevant in the game. Uh, because, you know, someone like Rahul gets a lot of flack for India losing that Joburg test match uh, against South Africa earlier this year. When in reality, when Jaspreet Bumrah did not turn up for the second innings and Mohammed Siraj was injured, 
India had little to no chance. And then at the same time, Dean Elgar and uh, Keegan Peterson batted so well that no captain could have done much. So, yeah, so these are the things that I try and kind, kind try to do. And then there are obviously threads because I think uh, 280 characters sometimes don't really uh, allow you to explain a point deeply. And uh, they, if you just put it in one tweet, there are loose ends. And uh, when when there are loose ends and you have people following you, there are many who are also looking at it, looking at an opportunity to troll you or contradict you or take things out of context. So it's it's better that you take your time sometimes and you know do three four tweets in a thread to to bring home the point. If people are going to you know understand and agree, they will. If they don't want to, then they won't. But at least it provides a bigger picture and some context to what is it that you eventually want to say. No, that's quite interesting. And uh, one more question to you is a follow-up because you hit hit on something that I was trying to explore with both of you. Because, you know, single-player fan is 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 the biggest fan that's out there, but it's also the most unreasonable voice because, you know, the moment you cross any opinion that can hurt a fan base, they attack. And, you know, I see that. You handle it very gracefully. I'm sure the trolls that you ignore, you block. So, but with, with, with the growing, uh, you know, uh, amount of followers that you have, uh, and I know you wanted to do this last since we spoke. You you want to have a voice in sports journalism, especially cricket. So, do you feel you are you know the account has more responsibility, even though you are accountable to only yourself? Uh, or and the larger question is: Has the fun gone out? You is it more of a serious account now? Uh, how do you approach cricket? Because you know you have become a, a reason reasonable voice there that we all go and check out. Okay, if I miss something, what did he say? So yes and no. I I all uh, I do understand that there's a there's a moral responsibility, uh, which is why sometimes I wait. And there have been times when I've got something wrong, I've deleted it, and I've posted a screenshot that okay, I've deleted this tweet because I got this fact wrong, or I understood this wrong, or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I am never shy of admitting something if I've gotten something wrong, whether that be a stat, trivia. Or anything else and I and I admit it as well so uh, that is something that I feel again is a moral responsibility because uh, I I don't want to be the kind of uh, person or an account who's deliberately you know posting something wrong or you know deliberately trying to create a, a wrong narrative uh, I, I, I'm not saying that I don't try, don't want to create narratives or don't want to create an opinion. That is something that I want to do. But I don't want to make a narrative or an opinion, you know, basing it on something which I already know is incorrect. Because then I'm not not being honest. And uh, people will see through that. People are smart enough to understand that. So, uh, you know, trying to do that, these things is, I think, equivalent of being penny-wise pound-foolish. Because you try it, you may try it once and you know, you may survive that, but the second or the third time you will get called out and then it really affects your credibility. So I, when I get something wrong, I try and admit it. And uh, as far as the fun part is concerned, I, you know, I keep posting the things that I like about, you know, say something, if I have watched a movie, if I've liked that or a series or, or music, like I, I like Punjabi music a lot. So I keep mixing and mixing and matching it so that, you know, it, it doesn't, at the end of the day, your Twitter account is 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 something also uh, is also a little bit about your personality, 
and uh, i think if you if you just make it robotic in the sense that you only post it about cricket then the fun goes out so i, I am I, i try and also not take it too seriously because um, it's it's very fickle some day you will put out an opinion which will see we are also we are also in that kind of a phase uh, especially with online content and online media is uh, any and every opinion or leave alone fact any and every fact is going to offend something or someone or the other right so you might as well not take uh, the following too too seriously because you know that a lot of this following is because they think oh you say, say you are a partic- you are fan of a particular player right uh, and the day you criticize that particular player a lot of those accounts who are following you specifically for that are going to unfollow you which is why i have now written in my bio that your favorites will cr- get criticized here so if you are going to follow me you are going yeah. to follow me at your own accord it's not my fault if you got, get offended because i am not going to care about one or two or few particular accounts i am only you know trying to be honest to what are my opinions and the kind of stuff that i want to say that that's about it right now it's not any more about you know gaining followers followers will come if they think if they resonate with you that you know what you do is honest or what your opinions are make sense or you know you add some understanding or you add something to their experience of consuming cricket con- content as long as that happens it, you know you uh, i think anyone on online media or social media can grow <clears throat> it's just that people have to be honest to themselves i feel in terms of what what kind of content they want to create and not try and be another version of someone else right uh, i and i see that many people try and be <clears throat> another version of some other cricket account that is famous and it mm-hmm. doesn't really work out for them because you are not creating any value you are not offering anything that isn't already out so yeah, that that that's majorly about it no that's very well said so vijay let me bring you in here we we done a solo podcast where we talked about uh you know your move to australia what the australian scene is but that seemed like ages ago so based on what gurkeer has said you know and a lot of people who listen to this podcast know who you are because you have helped elevate this podcast a lot in the last year and a half so vijay arumugam the soccer fan or the football fan is different than vijay arumugam the cricket fan so help break break it down for the listeners you know is your account primarily a cricket account and uh, or do you operate both football and cricket your tweets are coming from the same vantage point of some history some blind spots or preferences and some analysis or you are a more or you 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 let it flow freely when it, when you're talking about football compared to cricket uh sakib thank you very much first of all uh, one correction i think comparing me with uh, gurkirat is a bit, a bit of a blasphemy because as you said uh, he's you know he's he appears on tv shows he's got his own youtube channel he's got a massive following and he's got a name for himself so when i met with him at scg a couple of times you know it was more like me meeting a, a twitter celebrity but a twitter friend as well so he's a, he's a good guy so number two like as i said uh, i got a day job posting something on twitter i think i've been doing from 2012 if i'm right if i check my uh, timeline uh, but i think uh, most of the activity <clears throat> started to pick up uh, around late 2019 before the covid of course right uh, maybe a series of events happened where 
a set of people, <coughs> excuse me, have started to come together. You know, some sort of this cricket uh, Twitter, uh, you know, cricket Twitter. They started to call it. To be perfectly honest with you, I didn't want to post on cricket because my cricket posting online was way back in 2002 or 2003 with the BBC Test Match Special Cricket Forum, then Park Cricket Buzz, and then Cricket Forum. Right? Those were the three. Um, message boards as we used to call it right in the blogs phase right you know in the blogosphere back then that's where i used to post a lot you know meet a lot of people online made some online friends of course um and then it kind of allowed me to interact with a set of fans uh, from say pakistan england australia of course a lot of fans from india as well and even i was living overseas back in the us uh, back then so when i joined twitter i think in 2009 by then i was kind of done with cricket because when i said done with cricket i was still following cricket but i didn't want to discuss with new people i can be a little bit of a a choosy person in terms of who i want to watch cricket with i'm you know that's my personality i don't mind friends and i don't mind being in a group but it, when it comes to watching cricket i'm very selective i can't just watch in a group of 10 people uh it, maybe my age or my persona has changed on that even at home i have my own idiosyncrasies in terms of how i watch it same thing at the stadium so it was kind of a pleasant surprise in 2019 that like i used to post on politics economy any random thing as they call i think there's a word called a shit posting pardon my french um but i think that's what uh, you know i was doing but then when people started to uh, some sort of in a convergence of factors if i could say that i then suddenly realized that there was a bit of a an interest in people in wanting to talk about 1987 when pakistan toured india or what happened in sharja in 1988 or you wanted to talk about uh, uh, when australia went to england in 1902 so suddenly there was an interest for the history of the game uh, for some of the older series in the 80s and 90s shakib where you and i grew up with cricket uh, back in india well then also like uh, i've been living in australia for the last 14 years uh, watching games over here uh, <clears throat> from the grounds etc so you ask me i don't have a simple answer maybe you know i'm a cricket fan i mean i post a lot of things on cricket uh, you know i and i sometimes tweet things during live cricket but i'm not somebody who posts a score or anything like that but i do what i do is if i'm watching something i'm more of like you know if michael atherton says something on tv you know i'm one of those guys who will do a bit of fact checking to see whether he's saying the right things and he'll probably say no something else happened or if i hear something on 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 a tv or a radio i'll just i'll post the same message repost it or when i see something i'll i'll connect it with what happened in 1978 or 1985 and try to tell a story so it's it's a bit of a storytelling in a different way if i could use as they call it a linkedin phrase i don't want to bring linkedin phrase into twitter or into your podcast so that's what i do uh, of course i've done a few long threads something around cricket and economy cricket and broadcast uh, i've done some of these things uh i also written a couple of articles in the medium either for cricket or hockey so you know i've done a bit of things but it's never consistent because as i said um for me twitter is a, an outlet um and to your point i try to be a little formal i think that's my personality i'm never going to come across and type something uh, you know cuss or swear or anything unless it's a very rare occasion i'm also very particular it, it's my personality if i go to work i stick to english i don't speak to anyone any in any other language other than english uh, whether the person knows something else who i could share with i don't do that i think that same thing is reflected in my twitter persona i don't type something up in tamil even if i do 
I'll within parentheses I'll put the English meaning so that we have an international audience, audiences from England, Australia, people who follow me, or from northern parts of India, or from Pakistan, or wherever right? it is, right? So I tried to maintain it. However, you know, I found a few set of friends on Twitter with whom we can have a bit of banter, you know, pull each other's legs. <clears throat> in those, I think in those uh, transactions or uh, interactions, you would see me slightly letting my hair down and be a little more open and, you know, have a laugh at myself. Uh, talking about football, I think the other day when Germany lost uh, or when Germany beat, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Costa Rica and they were kicked out, I probably said a few things, even Deepak Rao, who's one of my good friends from Twitter, uh, he put it on my WhatsApp saying, what is this swearing and stuff? So, you know, I even said like, you know, it was a bit uh, shameful. I even deleted the tweet. So, I don't try to have a, a choreographed or a carefully constructed image about me, but that's the way I am. Like, you know, again, probably that reflects my age as well, Sakit, that I'm not 21 anymore to be, you know, swearing and cussing. So I had to be a little more responsible uh, on a medium like Twitter. <clears throat> so in summary, if you ask, you know, I think one thing I really love about Twitter, uh, I, I think the summary part is I try to link things to history I try to relate things to what happened or what, is, what I've observed, what I've read. I think, and also people say that I've got a reasonably good memory that kind of helps me at times because uh, I could relate to a lot of things. I could remember a few things. Say like, say, Karthik, the elite cynic, uh, one of the Twitter stars. Uh, you know, sometimes he and I talk about what happened in that particular commentary. Uh, in that particular session, we could relate to that. So some of those things I do. Uh, <clears throat> so if you ask me, in summary, I would say, it's very hard to define who I am. But the other thing I really, really like about Twitter, which was there even in the message board days uh, when I used to be regular between 2004 and seven uh, back then, is the feedback, right? As Gurkir has rightly pointed out, there are very, very different people with different uh, approaches to cricket. There are people who will do uh, uh, you know, analysis uh, to such an extreme degree that how a ball comes out of the hand, the dip and the uh, the drift and you know how it goes the angles yes of course there's a market for it mathematical statistical analysis etc cetera, etc cetera. i'm never going to do that sort of an analysis because i've never played cricket at a at, a, at any any decent level um, but again but as gurkir has rightly pointed out the feedback right you get constant feedback you get challenged by people people who are older than you people who are younger than you people who have hardly watched cricket or people who have watched a lot more cricket than you so i think what we need on twitter is an open mind the ability to have a conversation. I think a lot of people don't listen in. A lot of people go with a, a preconceived notion that they are right and others are you know, incorrect. I think that has to change. Uh, for us to have a reasonably sustainable uh, user account and followings on Twitter, on any topic, cricket, politics, anything, is the ability to receive feedback, the ability to change your opinion when you're presented with alternative facts or facts which are you know, contrary to what your original beliefs were. And also, I think what we need to do more, in my opinion, is to ask questions of ourselves, whether it's your team that you're following, whether it's yourself. It's very easy to finger point, blame, be the victim. Sometimes victimhood has to happen, but I would request or I would, I would, I would advise people to be uh, more of that. You know, ask questions of yourself. I think then you find a better way, then it's a lot easier to get into an engagement or a conversation because the moment you start to ask questions of yourselves, even in you coming into a difficult conversation or an, an interaction, 
you're going to post a question in a certain way that's not going to offend someone so that the other party can get into a conversation it could be an india pakistan uh, you know treacherous relationship or it could be you know maybe how virat kohli is perceived in england for his on field demeanor right uh, you know somebody might say from a different culture again the cultural thing right an indian cricket twitter fan was an australian versus an english and a pakistani more you look around there is a cultural thing you know some words are offensive in a certain culture where in other cultures it could be a very normal thing so i think some of these nuances and uh, <clears throat> um, you know some of these things have to be factored in i think that's the way i look at it uh, so i keep to be perfectly honest i really enjoy uh, my stay on twitter because sometimes it's a a stress buster right when you have a tough day when you've had a tough day and then you come and post something and some of the followers that you know interact with you so i do enjoy i mean that's the summary i would like to say sakib no i think that's uh, quite the scene setter and, and you know the reason i did this because i know you guys really well we've spoken on the phone we are part of a whatsapp group you know the reason was you know because we are going to be addressing one of the most loved cricketers of all time from indian uh, perspective which is rahul dravid he's absolutely one of my favorites uh, of the game but uh, i i think in twitter from my limited vantage point you know my opinions are outdated but uh, i quickly realize even if someone is a favorite of mine you know that person is not you know beyond criticism and this is not an exercise to criticize the great david and this date back to the kohli shastri partnership when as as a fan and you know who doesn't have the nuance understanding of a gurkirat or you know even you or some other people that name so i always struggle with the fact when uh, the success was there it was kohli and when the blame was there a lot of people wanted to blame shastri and i'm not saying you know if you are listeners you you did that but it was consensus to mock shastri he's a vibes coach and what not khadus khelna hai but you know when the results started coming then now in hindsight we think he's one of the best coaches in india arguably the best coach india ever had so similarly you know dravid has a resume has this appeal of mr nice guy and, and that that's one of the reason i like him too besides his batting like you know he's a class classy guy and now there's so many opinions about that so that's why i wanted you both to come here and this is not a scripted show you both could end up agreeing or you both could end up disagreeing and you know as let, let the conversation flow so gurkirat uh, what is international coaching according to you when you hire a big name like dravid you think uh that kind of a name holds weight because the generation i'm coming from you know i saw the chapels and you know the big names uh, coaching all around the world and uh, so when a dravid was hired what was your initial response and does that uh, appointment go in with what the coaching definition is in modern cricket for you so uh one thing that I, that i want to mention over here is i i don't think that at this level uh unless you are working with uh, a dedicated coach like we've we've seen players work on weaknesses like someone like gautam gambhir had had gone to australia and i think worked with justin langer and simon catterich if i'm not wrong on on his batting technique so that you know he could stop playing that poke outside the off stump to third man and not get caught to the keeper so i don't think nowadays there's enough time for players to work on any weaknesses as such especially major weaknesses without any downtime right it's it's something which even pan spoke in new zealand so 
if there isn't enough time for players to work on their weaknesses in the downtime i don't think the coaches can as well right what what the professional coaches can do is probably if they are in doubt about a couple of players for the same spot they can probably look at what weakness is is easy to work out right and then maybe select a player so i think at this stage and at this level uh, what is there for a coach to do is probably one decide uh, what kind of what kind of cricket that they want to play uh, what is there going to be strategy a uh, strategy b and strategy c if the if the uh, if the situation demands it and then maybe look at uh, all all the analytical or data points and see what all can be done what might be the best combinations you know how to manage uh, how to time manage workload uh, try and see if if you know if a player is is doing better than what his numbers suggest because see at the end of the day uh, you know when you are at that level and when you have to select players uh, you alone can't look at numbers uh, even i don't look at numbers because sometimes uh, when you've played the professional sport you understand uh, how numbers can deceive you especially in a small data set or a sample spe- uh, sample set now an example of that is shreyas ayer in t20 internationals now before uh, before the squad was picked for asia cup uh, shreyas ayer this year in t20 internationals i think had had most runs for india in t20 as a probably second most uh, till that point but he wasn't picked because you know you could see that despite those runs he had major weaknesses which will which will make it difficult for him to succeed in australia and he didn't score runs against south africa or england or west indies all his runs had come at home against sri lanka right so this is what i think a coach and a captain has to do is that you also look beyond the numbers and make make selections so for me a coach at this level is largely responsible for tactics and game sense and then understanding and realizing what 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 kind of player or what kind of strategy can work uh, with against which opposition and what kind of strategy and player will not work against uh, against a particular opposition because i don't think at this level uh, you know you can have players coaches working on a on a particular skill level of a player because when you play a, a professional sport for a, for a long time and cricket is a cricket is a game of instinct right if you see batting batting is particularly about instinct it's not you you don't have enough time to you know think that okay i can play this shot or that shot uh, the time is just enough that you see the ball and then your instincts take over and this is something which which is not i'm saying on my on my whatever little experience of playing school cricket or college level cricket i'm i'm saying from what i have heard even the best of batters talk about what they say is that once they have got their eye in and once they have judged uh, what is the pace of the pitch and what is the bounce then batting is completely about instinct right now if the whole sport is largely about instinct uh, and those instincts develop over time because you have played so much of uh, so much of professional cricket that it it becomes a part of your muscle memory so if you don't have enough time it is very difficult to make sure that a player is going to Uh, unlearn or relearn something which is with you know due to which they are struggling especially when when you are already traveling with the team with no downtime being there 
so people also need to realize because a lot of criticism in recent times has been of paras bhamre that uh, you know uh, under bharat arun uh, we were doing well and now we aren't so what is he doing but people also forget that uh, someone like siraj has also improved so you you can't put i, I think it's unfair to uh, I, i think it's unfair to to sort of put coaches responsible for uh, for the skill levels of a player declining or those skill levels going down because they can happen due to multiple factors it can happen due to fitness it can happen due to age it can just happen due to reflexes going down it can happen maybe due to confidence i don't know but i i think it's unfair to put it down to just a coach who's there which does happen i think out of frustration with indian fans or maybe even the subcontinental fans but were you were you excited when i know there was a tough time because we all had were on a lot of spaces and the way virat kohli uh and his captaincy got played out uh, i think the dravid appointment probably uh was a saving grace for a lot of indian fans so were you excited like you know a man who's been responsible for the india a team and the nca level is coming down uh, even for the man management role do you think that was the right move then so uh i i still believe that uh, that rahul dravid is the right person to 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 coach team india because uh, you have to see what other options do you have i i don't see enough indian cricketers uh, i know recently gautam gambhir said that to coach an indian team you need an indian because it's about emotion and passion but how many indian cricketers are there running running a franchise in ipl or you know being responsible for uh, for running the operations of a franchise you won't see many and there's a reason for that uh, a lot of indian cricketers are are outdated you see that in commentary uh, yesterday when when bangladesh and india were playing anjun chopra on air was saying that shikhar dhawan has had a good year in in odis uh, his his average and strike rate this year in 2022 has been his worst of all the years that he has played uh, odi cricket so if you don't have indian cricketers who are updated or who don't understand the modern game you can't make them coach that in that regard i find david quite reasonable and quite a good fit because he was the only one in recent times who talk about who, who spoke about the importance of luck in t20s and he said this after india had won the t20 series versus south africa he said that yes we were lucky against south africa and australia but we were also a little unlucky in the asia cup that is something you need to un- that that is something you need a coach or a captain to understand because this is a very fickle format uh, things can change very quickly and if you are ob- always reacting to a loss or a win then you will have no uh, then you will have no no conviction or no thought process i'm not saying that they didn't that, that they didn't resort to it because in the end in the semi final when they played pant over dk it was a panic move they panicked i'm not saying that they are that, that they are beyond the panic but there is there's still still a difference about you know about always reacting to a win or a loss and you know reacting to a win or a loss in a pressure situation so i i find dravid still being the right fit i i, I don't think it's it, it was a bad move as far as uh, you know him leaving the nca is concerned what i have a problem is that if vvs lakshman has been made the head of the nca and we have seen a lot of cases in recent times especially over the last one and a half to two years where 
players get a clearance from NCA, come and play, and then get injured after a game or a two, then maybe uh, someone who's been named as the NCA head or you know the president of NCA, then he or that then that person shouldn't be a backup coach or a standing coach, right? Because NCA is also a full responsibility. If you have given him that role of being the head of the NCA, then you shouldn't make him a coach when Dravid's on leave. I, I I have a problem with that. Then maybe you need to make you then then maybe you need to have an assistant coach in the setup itself who takes over when Dravid is not there. If he need, if he needs a break, he can take that break when Dravid's there. But I I don't find you know uh, the role of an assistant coach and someone being the head of the NCA. Uh, as being the same person because they are they are very they are completely two different profiles. Uh, they I think they also come with a different uh, uh, different sets of know-how because one is an administrative role, the other is of observing what is happening in the game and then trying to make selections. Also trying to make sure that you are building a team for the future. I think these two roles are so apart from each other that having the same person juggle between these these two roles isn't isn't appropriate. Hmm. Very interesting. So hold that thought. Al. You you gave me a lot of questions to follow up with, but let me bring Vijay in quickly here. So Vijay, you and I are from a different generation, and we did a podcast as you know, nostalgia merchant and all that crap. But I think uh, I'm going to give a tennis example. Uh, Roger Federer, when he was with Stefan Edberg, he started coming to the net. You know, the saber return, and Paul Anacon, who was the previous coach of Federer on Tennis Channel, one of the interviews said. I was saying the same thing to Roger to come over the backhand and just come to the net more. He said, but when Stefan Edberg says this with six grand slams and two-time Wimbledon champion, it carries more weight. So the same thing with Dravid, right? You know, the game is very professional. But, uh, you know, I know you were in a conversation on Twitter once about conditioning. But do you think uh, having a Dravid or a Chapel or someone like a Hussey in, in, in the coaching box kind of also adds to the old folklore, like, you know, if in a long tour, someone's struggling with form. So would you rather have a Dravid there who has been through the rigors himself? Uh, again, this total total speculation, we don't know how players react to these things. They're all like so well-coached and well-trained. But do you think a big name kind of adds to the billing? So, Sakib, uh, it's a pretty broad question. Again, as I said, uh, there are a lot of tangential things, right? Because it's very hard to quantify... Uh, for example, um, you know, I was just speaking to Karthik before the podcast to get some views, right? Karthik Elit Sunik. So he was telling me that uh, the fast tracking of Jaspreet Bumra is one of the biggest legacies of uh, Ravi Shastri and Virat Kohli, right? Uh, for the Newlands test of 2018-19. Now, again, as we always say, right? Success has many fathers and failure is, a, uh, is, a, is, a, is an orphan. Um, now, whether Jaspreet Bumrah got the break at the right time as per the norm, or did he get it 12, 18 months earlier? What sort of conversations took place before he was handed over the cap? You know, we we can get into a lot of this, you know, conjectures or uh, speculative things or tangential things. Sometimes it's very hard to quantify and say how that has benefited. To To your broader question, right? So let's go with the evidence, right? Because sometimes... Uh, it's very easy to speculate and say if you have the best player as the coach, uh, then the players will look up to the the Sampras. Sorry, uh, the Federer and Edberg example is a classic one because Edberg was a, a classic servant volleyer, uh, a classic player at Wimbledon where he used to uh, come to the net uh, nets and uh, do the volleying. 
perhaps that carried a weight, but again, uh, the con I mean, uh, what Annie Cohen said could be a bit of a whinge or a or a or a or, or, or a complaint of his his ability not to influence things. Anyway, let's not speculate. To coming back to that, uh, let us take Greg Chapel. Right, Greg Chapel probably carried more weight than anyone else in terms of the aura, personality, the respect. And Sarah Ganguly was the one who wanted him as a successor to John Wright because they felt John Wright had set it up for them because Sarah Ganguly had. Uh, a prior experience of going to Sydney SCG in 2003 winter to get ready for the 2003-04 Ashes. Sorry, not Ashes. I shouldn't be saying Ashes, India's tour of Australia. So, uh, but when he became the coach and then the whole thing, right? I don't want to talk about the history, right? Sarah Ganguly couldn't work it out. Then Rahul Dravid found him to be a, a suitable ally. But again, right, at this level, as Gurkira talked about, most of the are, people are well-drilled and well-coached and they're at a certain level. So sometimes what some people need, a little bit of tweaking, a pep talk or a, 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 an arm on the shoulder or an honest telling off. We don't know, right? And as uh, as Gurkira rightly pointed out, Gautam Gambir going to Australia to work out his technique, it has to be done at a at a personal level. It can be a, a broad plan given by the batting coach or a bowling coach or an overall coach. So coming back to that, let's look at Rahul Dravid as a person, right? So Rahul Dravid as a person, everyone knows he comes across as a very, very pleasant gentleman, um, you know, com- completely uh, humble, uh, uh, not completely humble, I mean, pretty much humble and more importantly, very intellectual, a very intelligent person and a modern, you know, modern captain to lead a country. That was the persona he gave us when he was a captain. But then Greg Chappell, right? The partnership is important. So it doesn't matter who coaches, who captains, right? At what stage or what development stage the team is in. If a team is full of youngsters who are trying to learn the ropes, maybe a little bit of senior coaches or very uh, experienced coaches would help. But as uh, you know, if the team is settled in and if it's in a reasonable state, then you might need a different pair of eyes because people might not want too much micromanagement. People might want a little bit of you know leadership, right? It's more leadership rather than man management or leadership and man management or person management than actually managing the data activities. Oh, have you done you know five rounds of run? You know, have you have you hit thousand five hundred balls in you know thirty eight minutes? You know that sort of statistics don't help. Now, the other aspect the game has happened, right? I think, Saki, to your point, when Mickey Stewart was appointed, right? He was the Sarai's manager. I think they called him a manager before the term coach came about. But he was a, probably the first professional uh, coach of uh, a team. England appointed him in 1986, Mickey Stewart, Alex Stewart's father. Then, of course, the famous Bob Simpson in Australia, right? Around 86, 87. When these appointments were made, cricket was always run by the captain whether it's Ian Chappell or Richie Benno or Ray Illingworth or uh, uh, or uh, Sunil Gav- or M.A.K. Pataudi or Sunil Gavaskar, captain uh, ran the show because cricket is a very different sport because uh, it's not like football where the manager or the coach uh, runs a show. But here, uh, it's a very different paced game. Uh, therefore, captain can make decisions. Of course, they think a lot about it. They have plans in the dressing room. But what you do on the field is more instinctive and you have a plan, et cetera, et cetera. So back then... When Simpson and Stewart uh, were the coaches, for the first time, we kind of saw a little bit of the coaches getting involved. Otherwise, it was just the captain who was running the show. The captain was the boss. And especially the Alan Border, um, uh, Bob Simpson thing, Border outsourced a lot of his accountability to Simpson. And Simpson was the one who was driving a lot of things. And, you know, they 
they ran a, a particularly good show so that Border can focus on other things. But then Mark Taylor, in my book, the best captain I've seen in the last 30 odd years of watching cricket, when he stepped up uh, to the plate to become the captain, he wanted Bob Simpson to take a, a bit of a, a backroom role rather than the frontman role, right? Because Sims, Taylor said, look, Simo, I'm the captain. I tell the team what to do uh, in terms of the fielding sessions, everything. You run the show uh, from the back end. So it depends on the personality, right? So to answer your question, Rahul Dravid is not your most demonstrative, you know, finger wagging, uh, you know, in your face person, but he's a very articulate, smart, you know, very well thinking, measured person. So he will work well, probably with a temperamental captain or a team that's in a different state, right? So I think those are the things we need to look at. It. I think the other question we need to ask about whether it's a Greg Chappell as a coach or Raul Drabbit as a coach is sometimes younger people when they're 18, 19, when they play for under 19, or when they're, you know, so hungry to learn like a sponge for any information, those sort of folks, uh, men and women, would be more interested to hear the wisdom or the, the stories or, you know, approaches. They will, they'll be the inquisitive ones who will be asking the right questions to understand more, pick their brains on. Maybe not at the test level. At the test level, people, sometimes they just need, if they want, they should be a Raul Dravid or a Greg Chappell, who is a coach. They should be approachable. If they start to erect a wall around them, then it's very hard, right? It's like a, a workplace where the boss has got a, a, a an office and he closes the, he or she closes the door, then it's hard, right, to get in, right? An open office culture, right? I'm just trying to uh, extrapolate that into the cricketing thing, right? So on a long tour, to your point, these days is very different. Now, let's look at it objectively, right? So as Gurkirth rightly pointed out, now Paras Mambe is the bowling coach for India. I believe Keith Dilip is the fielding coach. Uh, and now we have Vikram Rathor, uh, who used to tour in England in 1996, and um, you know he's the batting coach. And Nitin Patel uh, is the physio. And I think we have a strength and conditioning trainer, uh, Soham Desai. Now the point over here is we got the support staff; they got you know specialists. So uh, to your point, uh, if Rishabh Pant wants to you know tinker a little bit on this technique, does he go to Vikram Rathor, the batting coach, or does he go to Rahul Dravid? Uh, to your Stefan Edberg example, because Raul Dravid was uh, <clears throat> was a, a bigger name, is he going to go to Raul Dravid, right? Or I think the same thing happened when Virat Kohli was going through a little bit of that, uh, <clears throat> you know, not scoring big runs. Sunil Gavaski came on TV and said, you should phone up Sachin Tendulkar. Now, he conveniently forgot the fact that there were batting coaches and, you know, team coaches in the team, right? Uh, I mean, how often does a player go outside of his team setup and ask for help. Does that happen at a personal capacity? So these are a variety of parameters. To your point, Raul Dravid, I think uh, from his perspective, uh, he was, I thought he was happy as an NCA coach or, or, or an NCA uh, director. Now on NCA, I just want to bring one topic. Right? So there's a lot of success that's been attributed to NCA, uh, you know, having become this, you know, uh, what's less a nursery of Indian cricket producing a set of fast bowlers, etc. But I think let's look at the history, right? I think it was in 2013, uh, could be, uh, sorry, 2014, uh, during the Mahendra Singh Dhoni captain's era, uh, I believe they went and had a partnership with the uh, England's ECB, because they have the Loughborough Academy in England, which is high performance center, like what Australia has one in Adelaide. So I think that's where then they integrated the MRF Pace Foundation, which is in Chennai, which is helping the fast bowlers. So 
to me and also the i think the hospital right the sri ramachandra hospital uh, which kind of became the the bowling uh, biomechanics etc which means uh, you know previously everyone had to go to perth to get tested if they were called uh, uh, for throwing but now chennai became the kind of the center for that with the sri ramachandra so bcci did uh, some uh, structural changes to nca that happened during the ms dhoni captain sira who gave those inputs um who made those changes because there's a lot of credit that's given to rahul dravid for the way he did at nca as i said it success as many fathers so uh, what led to the next step and who did what who are the stakeholders involved and who made the call and who who resisted a change so unless we know all the details is kind of hard to give uh, you know an actual a factual a conjecture in terms of what it is so in summary i would say rahul dravid as a coach you know as any other coach has an important role to play but it's changing because we we i think the other thing we tend to look at cricket through test match prism uh, which means how do you select players based on first class runs etc but the t20 has completely changed the dynamics because as gurkir talked about the franchise cricket is so far ahead um with the talent scouts and how they're doing you know how the left hand right hand combination matchups uh, data analytics so i think the coach's role has become more important because captain can't do everything because if you're thrown millions and millions of data someone has to analyze you have an analyst and they have to give the details and what do you do with the details it's it's very important so i think in my opinion the coaching role has become more enhanced in the new setup but you have more support staff as well but the the, the follow up question i would ask is can a one coach be an all all the three format coaches or four if you include the 100 from england it's going to be hard because test cricket is very different a t20 has become more and more um in a specialized and unless you have a, a franchise knowledge right uh, even commentators we started to talk about it unless you've commentated and followed a lot of franchise cricket it's going to be very hard to come in with your clichés of 50 over cricket or test match cricket to talk about t20 so i think to me coaching role is very important or has become more important and in the t20 era it's more specialized but i don't think it will still replace the captain as the numero uno in terms of the team structure but it's a very very important complementary role and even the coach needs a lot of help in terms of data analytics and support staff as well so that's the broad uh, way in which i look at that sakib no the, i think uh, the last part of your answer is quite brilliant and that's how in few minutes we'll address that because me and gurkiras are talking about this you know uh, are we going to be heading towards split coaching but gurkiras uh, so some of the shastri fans uh, the criticism is if the same results cycle that rahul dravid's reign has seen if ravi shastri was a coach the world would have been on fire i'm not saying that dravid is going spot free or there is no blame coming his way so how do you break it down where the blame is valid uh how much re- responsibility he should bear for selection is it a split uh uh blame rohit sharma should also face some of it and compare it to the shastri kohli era because uh, they also didn't win any icc trophies but for uh, for test cricket you know that partnership was phenomenal so break it down for anyone you know who might have you know drivers getting proficient treatment <clears throat> is that how you see it or you think he's here to do a job and we still have like his tenure still not up So how do you see this it's a larger question uh, feel free to address it uh, anyway and then vijay you can wait on gurkiras response later on so here's the thing uh, 
a lot of uh, analysis or uh, a lot of what do you call it a lot of conclusion uh, in indian cricket largely i'm not sure if if it's if it's the case in australian cricket as well is 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 try is about you know giving a a black black and white statement like <clears throat> results not there bad coach bad captain results are there good coach good captain uh, what people don't understand is that results are never a factor of one thing and uh, judging captaincy or coaching is is a very layered thing. it's 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 not it's not about you know uh, giving uh, it's not it's not about black and white uh, now yes shastri and kohli enjoyed a lot more success in test matches but uh, how many test matches have have india played under rahul dravid eight they played eight one four drawn uh, lost three and drawn one right so firstly i don't think eight test matches is is a huge enough sample space and then you have to look at in how have those how have india played those test matches in south africa they were without rohit sharma and ravindra jadeja two of the most important pillars of what made uh, the test side successful under shastri and and kohli especially jadeja and then uh, you know in in england as well they didn't have in england also i i don't think they had uh, they had kl rahul and uh, they, they didn't have kl rahul and they didn't have uh, rohit sharma so they 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 lacked that so you you have to take things in in context this way and and then try and understand about you know what what worked and what didn't work coming to odis with the bilateral success that they had and i tweeted this recently and a lot of shastri fans didn't like it uh the fact is that virat kohli and uh, ravi shastri also had had uh, a lot of players especially the players who made up the pillar of their team in their respective peaks the top 3 were in their respective peaks kuldeep and chahal had just come on to the scene and no one had a clue of what they were doing bhuvneshwar kumar was doing quite well bhuvneshwar kumar had a very good 2019 world cup mohammad shami was also you know maturing as a as a bowler now now he has more injury issues and more fitness concerns uh, ishan sharma who was actually bowling a lot well now we we saw how ishan sharma you know has has now been removed from the test setup because of you know his fitness issues so you you had a lot of cricketers also at your disposable uh, at your disposal who were at their respective peaks which also made things far easier and i i've tweeted this as well that and i've tweeted this quite a few times that virat kohli the batter made things lot more easier for virat kohli the captain at the same time Rohit Sharma, the batter, hasn't been able to do that for Rohit Sharma, the captain, be it in the IPL or be it otherwise. Uh, last six seasons of the IPL, uh, Rohit Sharma is averaging around 25-26 with with a strike rate of 126. So there are these issues as well. Uh, if you if you have players who are at their peaks, then obviously managing them becomes easier. India also had the luxury of someone like Kedar Jadhav who was doing so well in between uh, in the two years of. Two two and a half years of cricket he played. He averaged forty with the bat at a strike rate of hundred plus, and he used to get those wickets. So there are these factors as well. At this point of time, what is happening with with Indian cricket is one, uh, your top three or the core that you had for the twenty nineteen World Cup, it's no more. 
in in the same in the same peak like if you see uh, the games of the the batting of uh, whether that be rohit sharma or virat kohli it isn't at the same stage at what at what what used to be earlier they they definitely struggle against spin a lot more than what they used to before and then uh, ravindra jadeja is 34 last two years you look at how many times he's he's had to miss uh, miss international cricket i think uh, he's he's had after the after he got that thumb injury uh, in sydney in that test match that was a drawn test match he's he's missed one he's he he missed one test match in gaba then the entire home test series against uh, against england uh, he missed the tests against south africa uh, he missed that one test match against new zealand at home so he's he's missed cricket he's only played two odis this year so you've had these issues and now when india want to bring in players now you look at someone like prasith krishna prasith krishna was was in the squad was drafted into the squad in 2021 in england because you know uh, he was in i thought india started to look him at as someone who can replicate the role of ishan sharma and can hit the deck but now prasith krishna has been injured for the last 3 4 months he was named in the india squad as well you've had so many injuries in recent times that it becomes very difficult to select your best squad or the perfect squad as well kl rahul has had injuries he was out for 2 to 3 months after the ipl couldn't play any format uh, suryakumar yadav was out, out due to injury so you also have to look at these things while evaluating that what how how the results have been and i don't think anyone can control injuries i am not saying that uh, rohit sharma and rahul dravid have got everything cor- correct but there is a lot of things that they tried which they which didn't fall into place now they they kept trying and hoping that avesh khan will improve but he didn't and when he didn't improve uh, and bumrah got injured they had to go back to mohammad shami when i think they could have gone back to siraj but that that's besides the point here what, what the point that i am trying to make is that when you have two major players like bumrah and jadeja getting ruled out due to injury and then you have someone who you backed so much they even backed rishabh pant not deliver and now you can't argue against backing rishabh pant because i think 95 out of 100 coaches or 100 yeah 95 out of 100 people who who've coached the side or who have watched cricket will believe that rishabh pant is is one player that you want to back and they did back him but he didn't deliver now that's what i'm saying these things can't be controlled always by the coach or the captain and that is why i think before you judge a coach or a captain you have to judge their decisions and not ultimately the results it is something that i have said it on this podcast as well i think it i said it last year when we were talking about captaincy that a captain makes up about, about 9% of the team right there are 11 players if you add uh, his cap you know a captain as you know if you treat that captain as two players then he makes up for the 18% of the team now 18% is definitely impactful but it start it still can't overrule the impact of the remaining 82% or the remaining nine players in the team or 10 players in the team who will also have an impact in the result eventually so these are the things this is the way i feel things should be looked at sometimes uh, you know despite poor captaincy or not so good captaincy team still gets good team still gets good result rohit sharma the captain hasn't done anything differently for india than what he did for mi in the 2019 or the 2020 ipl he made some obvious mistakes due to which he they lost games in those ipls but did not lose the tournament 
but people don't realize that because all the all the analysis on captaincy is just based on results so yeah th th this is what i feel you know about about the whole i i am not against anyone being criticized or anyone criticizing rohit sharma and rahul dravid because they have made mistakes my bone of contention is that what is it that you are criticizing them for if you are criticizing them for results and only results then i don't think maybe it's a fair way to criticize them because two individuals one of them who doesn't even play can't really control those results coming to the comparison between a shastri and a, and a rahul dravid why i feel that you know uh, rahul dravid still a better coach than ravi shastri is because now that you see ravi shastri speak as a commentator he contradicts almost every single thing that happened under his tenure he says that i will i will back sanju samson as the x factor and i'll take him to australia someone should ask him that when sanju samson was actually in the t20 squad when india went to australia in 2020 why was he dropped after three games especially when he was the only one in the batting order who was playing from the ball who was actually trying to hit out from ball one and did a decent enough job in two games and only failed in one opportunity why would why did you drop sanju samson after three games so he he said that uh, you know i'll definitely have mohammed shami in my in my squad for the world cup again someone should ask him that why are you saying this after what happened in the last world t20 when you were there when mohammed shami was the most expensive indian bowler who got carted around by namibia so this is what i'm saying and you know he says that i i didn't don't even result i don't even remember what happened in the bilaterals as a fan the statement is okay that you say you are not caring about bilaterals but as a coach it isn't because if you are a coach then bilaterals are an important are an important cog in the wheel for you to finalize that what is going to be your eventual squad without that if you are not learning anything from bilaterals then maybe there's a reason why you went without number 4 in the 2019 world cup so this is why i say uh, i rate rahul dravid as a better coach than ravi shastri not just because shastri you know not because of their results just because there's a method to the madness and i have not seen that method with ravi shastri and it's purely down to the way it's it's i'm not making anything up on my own i'm just basing it on whatever ravi shastri has said because he's contradicted himself now when you see someone who's contradicting himself you can't really say okay that person would have been a great coach or is a great coach that is that is my reading of the whole situation Vijay, you want to come in and just uh, if you disagree, yeah. agree. Uh, yeah, please. I think uh, you know, Gurkirat, you know, at a broad level, you know, a lot of very, very well argued points. But I got a couple of points. Right? I mean, I I have a slightly different view when Gurkirat says, coach is one person, captain is one person. Um, out of eleven, captain is one player. Coach doesn't even play, so they don't have a say, right? Well, no, I'm not saying they reason... don't have a say. I'm saying. <laughs> i'm saying it's unfair to to base the entire result or you know call for their heads out of with and just their heads i'm saying any criticism of those two people alone without you know looking deeply at things i think that is unfair i'm not saying that they won't be yeah yes there is contribution to the result they are not the single single or sole contributors to the result there are other players as well sometimes you can have the best 11 and the 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 best team but you may still not get results due to various factors about players not turning up or you being unlucky all of that can happen in sport 
Yeah, true. It's good. But the same thing holds good in any field, right? Like if you're a CEO of a 300,000 uh, member, you know, Fortune 500 company, if your company's stock prices are going down, the CEO gets the ax, right? CEO cannot say that I had 330,000 people working for me, out of which 20,000 people didn't perform. Fair enough. But at the end of the day, I agree with you to some extent, but whether it's sport, sporting coach or a sporting captain, or a, a CEO or a leader, a prime minister of a country or whatever, right? When there is an added responsibility, you are allowed to make decisions. And I agree with you a lot when you say you judge them by the decision, because as you rightly said, in any field, you make a decision based on available data points. Uh, you you think about uh, you think about some judgment. You you take a punt. A lot of times, as you rightly said, Avesh Khan, right? You know, you think he's going to perform. It didn't come through, so th- there's a fair amount of probability there, right? They 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 try the luck as well, right? Sometimes certain things work, certain things don't work. To to skip to the broader point about the captaincy, right? Ravi Shastri versus Rahul Dravid. The way I look at it, so Ravi Shastri is a very different kind of personality. I mean, to give a bit of a context, I've followed him a lot, right? He's one of my early heroes uh, in the late mid to late 1980s when I started to follow cricket. So a lot of people remember Ravi Shastri as someone who was more of uh, batted, uh, you know, 67 balls for the 20-odd runs. He scored at the, the Gabba against uh, Australia in the tight game or the game India lost by one run. Or people think, look at Ravi Shastri from the, the fa- couple of final one-day innings. But if you look at it, he has got test standards in Pakistan as an opener. He's got test standards in the West Indies against the rampaging West Indies. When he had originally started off as a number 10 player. And also when when we watched him, right, as a Ranji captain and then temporary Indian captain, his clarity of thought was always there. He was more of a people manager, man manager. And that was reflected even in his commentary career, right, when he started off in 1994. Now, the other thing I've always liked about Ravi Shastri, before I come to Raul Dravid, is Ravi Shastri was one person who was very comfortable in his skin that he was from India. He he backed himself. At the same time, he never worried about the fact that as an Indian player or a coach or a commentator, he had to learn from the best of the best in from England, whether it's Glamorgan County or Australia. He never had the victimhood. And sometimes I get frustrated with someone like Sunil Gavaskar, a great, great player with a great record. But he started to get into the almost mode of, oh, everything from England cannot be true. We need to stand up for them. I think that that sort of victim, victim would even have Shabogli due to a few, few, few other reasons. I think in those things, Ravishas is very clear. If we need advice from outside, we need to get it. Uh, if we have to learn from the best, we have to learn from the best. And then we have to implement the way we have to. So that's been his approach throughout his life, even as a commentator, right? Now, coming back to his coach, his style was he was never a great tactician. He was never a guy who's going to draw a whiteboard and tell what it is. I think his style was where he complimented Virat Kohli really well was Virat Kohli was not a Saurav Ganguly when it came to stakeholder management. When I say stakeholder management, in Indian cricket, is all about zonal selection, who you manage as a BCCI president or secretary, because these are political things, right? I think Ravi Shastri, I know that was during the interim period when COIA was there from the Supreme Court, uh, uh, interim thing. But even there, right, some of, the, some of the things that he was doing was keeping the external noises down and helping Virat Kohli to focus on what he had to do. I think in that way, he complimented Virat very well. And a lot of things that Virat did that, you know, we need to focus on fast bowling, uh, fitness, right? Fitness is something, Ravi Shastri was never the fittest person and his lifestyle doesn't help him to do that. However, he allowed Virat and free hand and helped him in whatever shape or form. So his role was 
a sort of a different role when it comes to running the team communication, um, whether with the overseas players or not. I think in that way, Raul Dravid is a very different person. As I said, Raul Dravid is more studious, more organized, and he's a good thinker of the game. And, and he's a much, he has done much more as a player, right? As a great batsman. He was one of the top five Indian batsmen the world has ever seen or one of the top five Indians ever produced. So from that perspective, two different personalities. Now, I agree with Gurkira sometimes that, you know, the process matters, the results. It can't be achieved during a tenor. You sometimes you set it up. You bring three players from uh, 20% to 80%, but you don't get the results. You get knocked out in a tournament or you lose an important test matches due to a couple of things going against you. But your successor gets the benefit. That's sport, right? It goes through cycles, boom and bust. I think one of the frustrating things of Rahul, Ravi Shastri and Virat Kohli was given the talent pool that India generated, they couldn't win a series in England. I know the split series in 2021. They couldn't beat New Zealand New Zealand. Um, and now recent, I mean, they couldn't beat South Africa in South Africa in 1819 uh, against a great South African side. Uh, but then Raul Dravid, you know, uh, his team is also Rohit Sharma and Raul Dravid. They lost out in South Africa and couldn't win the test match in England at Edgebaston. But one point about Kurkira Singh, I think where a lot of people have started to criticize India a little more is some of the statements, right? Um, say Hardik Pandey came up with a famous statement in Sri Lanka saying we could field three different teams and we could win any tournament. When you make that, that sort of a statement, and then when you come and say, oh, we missed Jadeja in South Africa, oh, we missed Rohit Sharma, then I think that's where, like, on one hand, you say we got a pool of you know, 10 fast bowlers, and Sridhar and Ravi Shastri start to compare the Indian fast bowling unit to that of the West Indies in the 1980s. Don't get me wrong, Indian fast bowling unit is good, but it is no way, trust me, no way close to Andy Roberts, Malcolm Marshall, uh, Michael Holding and Joel Garner or Colin Platt the best. Anyone who has followed the cricket will know it. Doesn't matter how we want to put stats, right? Now, somebody's saying now, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, Kimar Roach is as good as uh, Andy Roberts. Go and ask Greg Chappell, Sunil Gavaskar, and other players who played against. They're going to dismiss it as unadulted nonsense. So, anyway, to, come a, to cut a long story short, to me, the availability of the pool of people, how you build that pool, and who does what as success as many fathers. But what do you do with the pool, right? For example, to Gurkira's point, if someone gets injured, that's where the coach or the captain's job, it's not easy, but they are paid to do a job. So do you get an interim solution? Do you get a, a short-term solution just for the series? An old player who's in the 30s, who's not in your scheme of things. I think that's where, as we say, you earn the con, you, you're paid big bucks, so you, you're given the responsibility to make those decisions. Short-term, long-term, to get a result. Now, of course, results can't be achieved every time. The other thing Gurkira talked about Ravi Shastri contradicting, it's a fair point because Ravi Shastri can speak off the cuff a lot and uh, shoots from the hips at times. But to give a bit of a benefit of doubt to Ravi Shastri, you know, as a coach, what he said could be very different. It's scripted, measured, because you don't reveal everything what's in the dressing room. And, and a lot of times press conferences, what they come and talk is, you know, what do we say, very much... Uh, censured or like you know moderated content. Now, as a commentator, he's he's allowed to speak his mind. And also, I don't usually say like for example, as I said, Ravi Shastri was a great batsman, therefore he can be a better coach versus someone who's an average batsman. I don't consider because different roles. Similarly, commentary, uh, he's entitled to speak his mind uh, unless there is a BCC a contract which stops him from prohibits him from saying something. So that contradiction, I get Kurkira's point, but. That need not be used as a sole measure or one of the measures to, uh, you know, hold against it. That's one of the things I would like to say. To, sure. to answer, so Vijay, Saki, oh, sorry, 
No, I was going to say, hold your thought. I mean, I'm going to keep it a little longer. Gurkirath has to jump. So Gurkirath, if you want to respond uh, in the last few minutes we have, and also talk about what Vijay had asked earlier in the show, are we approaching split coaching and uh, because of workload management and is Javed and that generation, are they suited to coach all formats, especially uh, T20s? Oh, we will reach eventually. I, I, I think till twenty twenty uh, till about twenty twenty three World Cup or twenty twenty four T twenty World Cup. We miss we may still have one coach, but beyond that, I I see it difficult how 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 you'll have only one coach for all three formats. And uh, at present, I don't think that the generation of Indian cricketers or uh, you know even selectors, I I, I believe are are updated with the with the T20 format i mean you just look at the criteria that bcci have laid out for the new selectors the the criteria is that they have to play a minimum they've had to have played a minimum set of uh minimum set of first class games or test matches or list a games or odis firstly i i don't think that both should be related uh, it's 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 not necessary for cricketers or ex cricketers to be good coaches or good selectors that is one two if you are actually taking into account the other two other two formats why are you not taking into account t20s because now it's also become a specialized format and if you will not take take in account for any t20s and you will put the, a five year kind of a limit that you you've had you've had to have retired at least five years before then i think you are also yourself stopping uh, the modern minds who are updated with the game to become selectors or to you know become uh, or to be a part of the decision making so i think uh, we are still at least two years or maybe even more away from split coaching but yes it will eventually happen that that is because i don't see any more uh, i don't think there will be a lot of three format cricketers i don't think at present we have even five cricketers who are as good uh, in all the three formats like even if they play three formats, you know that they are better in a certain format. Uh, there was Kohli at one point of time who was doing well in all three formats. I think now I don't see playing Kohli T20 Internationals or T20. And even if he does, he's he's not the same player in T20s anymore. There's Bumrah who I feel is a three format player. Uh, but like I said, I, I don't see going forward a lot of three format players anyway. And if you're not going to have a th- lot of three-format players anyway, because there's a lot of cricket happening, it's difficult to expect coaches to be three-format uh, coaches as well, because they also need their downtime so that you know they can take a break, be fresh, and everything. So, yeah, I, I, I think it will happen eventually, but I'm not sure when. Maybe two to three years time, but it, it is here. They, I, I think. Till the end of 2024 World Cup, India might still have only one coach. All right, so good, Kirith. I know you have to jump off uh, uh, for another recording. Uh, Thank you for joining here. I really had fun. Uh, We should definitely do this again. But Vijay, I'm going to keep you for a few more minutes here, if that's okay. No problem. Thanks, Akib. Good, Kirith, as always. Very nice talking to you. Uh, So, Vijay, you and I have been talking about this, uh, you know, on and off when Rahul Dravid took over the team uh, after Virat Kohli's unceremonious, you know, exit and, you know, resigning from captaincy. So do you, do you believe he just took over the same team? Because sometimes, you know, there's conjecture 
if you look at the roster, it's pretty much the same guys and if some key guys are missing because of injury. But do you think it's, uh, it, it was a process decision, him coming in, taking over from Ravi Shastri, and we can start judging him? On, and, or do you believe what Gurkira said, missing some key personnel will also result in some questionable selection? So if we're going to give Shastri all the credit for the success in test matches, even a small sample size, it's okay to give Dravid some blame. So I know it's a broader question. Approach it, you feel is more appropriate in your answer. I think I I believe like Raul Dravid has had some time. Uh, yes, we have to judge him after maybe 18 months or 12 months. But I think my only question is selection, right? Because yes, you inherit a team, but was Rohit Sharma... Uh, who was at the peak of his powers in one-day cricket in 2019. Is he the same player now? Yes or no? And T20, right? T20, as we talked about, uh, they made a conscious decision of taking that top three, right? Uh, KL Rahul, uh, Rohit Sharma, and then uh, Virat Kohli, saying the Australian wickets will have a bit of bounce, Australian wickets will have uh, uh, back foot play. They had their points. Uh, But then I see the same set of... uh, people have started to say, oh, the pitches did a little more than what they thought they would, therefore the strike rates were lower. Now, you can't have it both ways, right? So you make a decision to uh, select a team for the conditions based on your data points available, based on your experience, based on your team strength, you do it. When results don't go your way, you have to cop it on your chin. And I think to me, the T20 failure was completely due to, it's not because of one bad day as the apologists make it out to be. It was because England played a different brand of T20 cricket. And India's T20 cricket has been a bit outdated. And I would say even, you know, five, six years behind uh, the eight ball curve, as we say, compared to England. Therefore, England played a very modern form of cricket at the Allied Oval, which India could match. So we could say Rahul Dravid had to be blamed along with uh, the skipper Rohit. But the whole a setup of Indian T20 cricket was not done by these folks. It's been done some time ago because the COVID probably had an impact in the way the Asia Cup was run and the, the two back-to-back World Cups, right? Uh, the, the one in UAE was more decided on the toss and batting second, etc., etc. So, yes, you inherited the same team, names in the on the list, but it need not be the same set of people in terms of where they are in the headspace and their, uh, uh, you know, evolution. Or some people, uh, some people kind of, dis- uh, you know, they just go backwards or they go off the bubble, right? So Rishabh Pant was a fantastic success um, in in Test match cricket. Whose job is to make him an equally fantastic success in T20 cricket? He's been really good in, you know, statistics and evidence suggests he's a good, good enough one-day player. But what he does in test cricket is some, you know, extremely outrageous innings he plays, which is, you know, match turning. Now, how do you fit him in? So the like, question is, how do you make a judgment call? Do you want to fit Rashad Pant into your T20 setup and build a team around him? Is it that important? Or you can go back to the, you know, 2000s, right? Are you going to have Sachin Tendulkar to open the batting or is he going to be number four? If he's going to be opener, you have only one sort. So you can't have Viranda Sebag and whoever else is, right? So, you know, these are the calls people make for the short term, medium term, and long term. So to me, sometimes if you get caught, if a tournament starts whilst you're still, uh, you know, uh, in, a, in a transition phase, you can't win. Uh, whether it's football or cricket, right? if you're in transition, you can't win. I mean, you might hope to win something, but it's not going to happen. By design, it's going to happen. So I think Indian T20 cricket is a little outdated. 
the big question is the one day cricket right india is playing a home a world cup next year uh, but again we don't know what sort of pitches we're going to get because again it's played in october november it there could be a fair amount of dew if there's going to be a lot of dew that's going to be maybe uh, you want to chase a lot uh, you know other pitches going to turn are they going to be flat because england prefer during their peak you know set up of the world cup after 2015 in 50 over cricket they wanted to belt the uh, you know the cover of the ball to 400 500 etc etc but mostly on flat wickets but england was still good enough to win the final when the conditions were like you know seeming and ball was hooping around uh, when colin uh, colin de, de grom um, got a lot of wickets right three for right took a two three for in the final right so how adaptable are Uh, how adaptable are your tactics and how adaptable is your uh, formula for success uh, home world cup india can probably control uh, the conditions better but again it depends so so the question is uh, i don't mind rahul dravid or a, uh, or a, uh, rohit sharma losing a few games here and then bilaterals but can they slowly build towards the 2023 world cup from an indian cricket perspective and if they fail and who is to be blamed uh, did they inherit the wrong team and again um you know virat kohli is one of the big successes early on was bringing in two wrist spinners in the middle uh from the finger spinners after the 2017 champions trophy final lost uh, to pakistan ashwin was carted around now then he couldn't sustain it for 2019 because kuldeep suddenly you know lost form fell out of favor and you which chahal was there so again there are a lot of moving parts and how do you go towards it and indian test cricket was the strongest of the three because that's where we had better fast bowlers um uh, in a bigger pool etc etc but then as gurkirat rightly pointed out the moment rohit and uh, jadeja were gone india couldn't even beat a south african side again the virat kohli side that lost in south african 1819 was a a superstar side with you know stronger bowlers and also batsmen like ab dibilis and much stronger lineup however when india went recently it was a very you know very you know inexperienced batting lineup some with very good fast bowlers everyone thought india would win india couldn't win so who should be blamed i mean you could say virat kohli didn't captain one of the series and were the dressing room disturbances affect uh, did the dressing room disturbances affect it's again conjecture we can't spare, you know give an answer so to answer a question i would say um i'm not so sure rahul dravid has been a franchise coach is he going to be an all format coach or is he going to hand over uh, some of the duties uh, to other teams i think the other problem what they have to be careful is by having far too many changes in teams people are not going to associate your national team so cricket has been built on this you play for india you play for australia you have an identity you can relate to the players during that period 12 15 players now more and more players playing in different format that's going to be a bit of a challenge will cricket go down the path of treating it as at least two entirely different sports c20 separate then test cricket separate and then you try to fit in world cups and um, uh, some of the important bilateral one day tournaments so i think those are some of the bigger calls and good thing one good thing that virat kohli and ravi shastri era did was uh, bringing some love back to the test cricket because under ms dhoni one of the bigger criticisms was dhoni's focus to take indian cricket away from test cricket towards more towards uh, shorter formats so that's one thing that's legacy great legacy of virat kohli and ravi shastri and hopefully that will continue um, under this current team but what does it mean from an identity perspective for the fan um, and the players themselves and you know who's going to play in all the formats i think 
those are some of the broader questions for which uh, we like to wait and watch how that evolves because england seems to be very clear in terms of having a very separate t20 team india hasn't gone down the path because we still have this superstar culture of you know we expect virat kohli to play at the mcg to fill up 85000 seats or people will say i paid a ticket to watch virat kohli bat i don't care how he bats so that's sort of a superstar culture which is more prevalent in india that could dictate some of the things uh, which is a bit unlike uh, england or australia so i think that's pretty interesting what you said the superstar culture because i all also believe you know if you look at joe root and now steve smith uh, you know they are not playing in t20 anymore again virat kohli is twice the t20 player that these guys are but you know it was pretty clear that virat kohli rohit sharma shouldn't be part of the same team according to many many experts that who we all follow on twitter i'm not saying this and virat kohli had a stellar performance down under but i think you're right the superstar culture and the selection uh, you know decisions are sometimes outdated and only time will tell how uh, indian team management responds to this but a larger question uh, i i want to bring in this con- uh, conversation to conclusion is with justin langer saga that unfolded in australia he was part of a legendary aussie team uh, pretty much you know he was a backbone of that of that batting order uh, and the team had reasonable success under him but it was somewhat of a toxic relationship he had with the dressing room so if you want to talk about that as a concluding act of this episode would be fantastic uh sakib i think regarding justin langer um uh, his relations with tim payne and his relationship with uh, pat cummins is very interesting because justin langer was a very 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 methodical player when he played very intense player and uh, he was under Steve Waugh and uh, Ricky Ponting, he, though he's played a little bit under Mark Taylor as well, but his real blooming as a player happened under Steve Waugh uh, at the 2001, uh, the Oval Test, the final test, when Slater lost his place. Um, but then he went from strength to strength in terms of his you know, record in test cricket, um, and especially in test cricket, the way he did. Well, then as a coach, he was pretty uh, successful uh, in England, uh, you know, um, Uh, so he was the the roses who was he somerset right he was a somerset coach right um was he somerset or uh, i'm getting the name wrong so i'm getting old sorry so he was very successful in england as well uh, but then uh, he had he was part of the ws setup here in australia as well but when he became the coach uh, it was at a time in australia australian cricket was uh, it was post darren lehman right so darren lehman the whole uh the saga around uh, cape town newlands newlands and sandpaper the way the australian public uh were literally up in arms and the australian politicians got involved and the decision was to be made uh, they made a decision to uh, give a ban to steve smith and warner and bancroft and a lifetime captaincy or a leadership ban on uh, uh, on warner as well so at that time you needed a steadying hand or you needed that sort of a hard taskmaster like a langer who would come and tell people to behave uh, you know this is how we are going to play cricket you need to be more responsible so langer is a very passionate person and that's why he gets a lot of support from his former colleagues like um, ricky ponting uh, steve war he's sort of a, a loyal person because uh, you know he always says that he would he would um, he would go through uh, you know any hardship to get an outcome for those captains he had that kind of now i'll die for you on the field sort of a thing i think that's why he's earned the loyalty and trust of his old mates uh, from the playing era so i think it started off and tim tim payne was not the most powerful character so there was a period again as i mentioned in my earlier thing right 
pod, uh, sorry, not the pod, the same pod uh, we discussed earlier. Captains have always run the teams, especially in Australia and England, uh, when in India. But when Alan Border and Bob Simpson were there, there was a little bit of a movement towards coach getting dominant. And then Mark Taylor came and said, no, I'm, I'm getting back to my my own stuff. But even when Steve Warren Ponting were there, the captains were the ones who were doing a lot of stuff. But during the Tim Payne-Langer era, again, by design or by the personalities that were available, the coach became a bit more prominent and Langer became a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, prominent and uh, he was starting to uh, get, I mean, I think the slight fallout with Usman Kawaja was well documented, that the whole test documentary. So you started to see the coach becoming a little more important in your face or, or getting more prominence. But I think when Pat Cummins came in, you know, I, again, I don't want to get into the details about the whole sexting saga between Tim Payne and, and that uh, employee of uh, Cricket Australia in, in, in Hobart. But the point I'm trying to make is once um, Cummins came, once Australian cricket sort of let that moral guilt go of what happened at Sandpaper and they started to get comfortable by you know, winning a few series and you know, starting to develop a team I think some of the players in the team didn't like his style, right? His style of, you know, it's almost like a, a matron or a headmaster telling them what to do and throwing all the jargon he has learned from whatever, right? Uh, uh, you know, one of those business schools in America and, you know, writing all these uh, motivational statements and people start to say, hang on, I'm rolling my eyes and what the hell is going on? So I think in that way, he was a very, very important coach to reinstate the image of cricket in this country along with Tim Payne but that was always going to have a, a short shelf life because Australian cricket would always allow its cricket to become the vehicle uh, for people to know what it is that means you start to win games, you start to perform you start to get runs and you're respected as a as a captain for what you do rather than some glib PR exercise where you come and you know, say some motivational words that's not the way Australian cricket works so I think once Cummins and being a very strong leader when he started to do and again you have to understand that Cummins was the first ever proper bowling uh, captain, right? Because in Australian cricket, it's the batsmen uh, who are always captain or uh, or bowlers weren't allowed to, right? Uh, for obvious reasons. So when Cummins started to do that, and I think the some of the frictions uh, came out in public and we all know how it uh, transpired and he was given an interim contract. He, didn't wa- he wanted a long-term extension, which they didn't give and finally was let go of. And the opinion is a little bit divided in this country, but a lot of people are backing Pat Cummins because Pat Cummins is that likable next door lad, you know, you know, you know, uh, fiendishly intelligent, very, you know, handsome, fast bowler. You know, it's like Cummins is a guy whom you want your sister to go out with, that sort of a personality. At the same time, very intelligent person. So I think a lot of Australians, common Australians, can relate to Cummins and they like uh, his style of captaincy, the way he says things. Of course, there was a little bit of a controversy recently when he talked about Alinta Energy, the sponsor of the Australian cricket team and how he didn't want them to do it from a climate change perspective. Of course, some people thought he was getting a little bit too woke uh, to the left. Uh, however, a lot of people still supported him for his, you know, in principle agreement. Some people rightly pointed out that you're making money out of IPL. Why are you being lecturing? Why are you lecturing us? Anyway, to cut a long story short on that, um, I think there's been a lot of support uh, but now with the uh, you know uh, David Warner issue cropping up, there are some noises in the Australian cricket dressing room. But I think largely the captain and his tenure 
is going to be more respected. Langer is a former player. Now he's on Channel 7 commentary. He said a few things in the podcast earlier where he called someone a coward, come inside to come and say, you know, there's, there are no cowards in the team. Yes, these things will be there. But again, the fact that Australia wiped the floor with the West Indies in the two test matches, they're going to do the South African thing. So some of the controversies are unfortunate and Langer could have handled some of them better. But Langer, I think, feels that when I took over, when I sacrificed so much of my personal time to be the coach of Australian team and Australia needed the most, when but then it's quickly forgotten. And, uh, you know, I'm told that I'm too intense and I'm too uh, too much of a, a school principal uh, to be coaching an Australian team. I think he's got a point, but that's how life works, right? We all have our shelf lives and, uh, you know, our entitlement that, you know, we are always right and, and I did something back there for you owe me something. It doesn't cut cut the ice for a long time. If Cummins doesn't perform, he'll be asked to go as well. So in summary, it's a very similar saga, but I think here the player power is more compared to India. There's a players union uh, or association, their votes matter. Uh, so they got a, a far more robust democratic process of handling the player relationship in this country than India. India is probably the only country which is not a signatory to FICA. I think recently FICA, the Federation of International Cricket Association, had a, a survey where uh, players felt T20 World Cups so or T20 could become more important than Test cricket. Again, Indian players weren't consulted because India is not a signatory to that. So to come back to that, I think here we got a slightly more robust system, but Langer... Uh, saga could have been handled a little more differently, but I think the player power, mainly through their association, union and FICA, has played a part. I don't think anybody will take on the BCC or I don't think anybody in India will do something that will jeopardize their chances of uh, having a career with BCC. I think that's slightly different in this country because even if you take it on, as it happened during the World Series cricket in 1977, you can go to a court and get a, an arbitration saying that it's a fair work policy that you are allowed to work. But on the other hand, BCCI might not give you an accreditation as a commentator or, as a, or anything else. So I think it's a little different, but uh, similar things, um, but a lot of noise. Uh, but I think Langer will be a bit disappointed, uh, but, um, but he has to probably understand that that's how the cookie crumbles for most people. Suck it. No, I think that was brilliant uh, overall, uh, the Langer saga, how you uncovered for this podcast. And that was more like a, you know, impromptu question and you you handled it with a lot of poise. And I think that's also very important as we wrap this conversation up to draw a parallel how like another uh, legend of the same Dravid era, uh, you know, was dealt with uh, in, in the coaching circle as, as a power structure. Player versus coach is always uh, the talk of the cricketing world these days. When you Whenever you have a big appointment like a Dravid or a Langer, so I think only time will tell how Dravid's tenure unfold. We all will be here as witnesses and wish the man, uh, you know, a, a great run. If he can, you know, take India to, to to greater heights as far as ICC trophies are concerned. But it's going to be a very interesting follow as a test match as the Bangladesh starts in three or four days because it's very hard to separate all formats when it comes to coaching or captaincy. Analysis will always be there, but so will be opinions. And this was a great podcast to break the ice here at Cricket with an Accent. Uh, you and Gurkirat are both fantastic, generous with your explanations and deep analysis. So I thank you both to join here after an eight-month hiatus of this podcast. I don't know what is in future, how many episodes we'll be doing. Uh, we'll be lining up, but definitely Cricket with an Accent will, will you know, will be, will be back in 
uh, at different outlets like Apple and Google and Spotify with more episodes. So stay tuned and thank you again for listening and all the support that you have shown my way during this tough year. So this was a perfect opportunity to talk some cricket, Dravid Shastri and bonus langer with Vijay Armagam. This is Saqib Ali signing off. Thank you. Thank you, Saqib.